message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. If you've got your Bibles with you, if you could be finding the book of Two Kings, please. Some time ago, way back in the midst of time, when, uh, when John had hair, this is quite a while ago, I guess. This is, this is nice hair. Uh, we began a series looking at the lives of Elijah and Elisha. And it seems a long time ago we, uh, we started our journey uh, working uh, through the, some stories of their lives. And a number of things have happened since then. Other people have been preaching and we've had some other stuff we've looked at as well. Some of you can't even remember back that far by the looks of it. But trust me, we did start. And, uh, and we got to 2 Kings chapter 5. I think, Tim, you spoke on 2 Kings 5, didn't you? And uh, which brings us nicely to 2 Kings chapter 6. It's good, this, isn't it? So I'm hoping by the time I finish my preamble, you will have uh, found the book of 2 Kings and uh, turn to chapter 6 and we come to the uh, next episode that is recorded for us uh, in the life of Elisha. So 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 1. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, look the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to live. And he said go. Go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for encountering you already this morning as we've worshipped you. Lord, you've spoken to us and stirred our hearts. And I pray now as we look at your word together, we would encounter you afresh. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher, please. Please apply the truth of this passage to our lives. Help us to understand what we read and teach us from it, please. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. So the context we've got here in 2 Kings 6 is a context of growth and a context of expansion. You'll know if you'll know the uh, lives of Elijah and Elisha, we've, we've got what's referred to as a company of prophets that Elisha is leading. And it seems that people come in from near and far to, to hear Elisha, to be taught, to grow in their prophetic gifting, it seems as well. And it, it seems that this thing is expanding. And it looks like more people are now pressing in, more people are coming to Elisha, and the place where they were meeting had become too small for them. 
And uh, they realised this. They were, I can imagine them sort of, you know, a bit cramped there or trying to find somewhere to sit down. And one of them eventually says, guys, this is just crazy. This is just too small. Well, we need to do something about this. The, the place is too small. We, we need somewhere bigger. And I can imagine one of them uh, saying this. And as they're doing that, they're looking forward. Because you don't think about building a building unless you're looking forward, do you? You don't think about moving unless you're looking ahead. Those of you who have, who have ever moved house, which I guess would be most of you, it's not something you want to be doing every day, is it? I can't imagine there's many of us that would want the aggro, the stress, uh, and just the time it takes to try and move house. I mean, I'm not good at things like that. I remember when I moved from Bedford to Leicester, and uh, in Bedford I had a little two-bedroomed house at the end of a little terrace, and uh, I'd been there for a year, and uh, it had come time to move, and some friends had come round to help me pack. And, and I'd started, you know, I'd started to put some videos in a box and I'd maybe put a few CDs away. Um, but when it came to things like, you know, packing the kitchen up, I just sort of sat there and looked round in a daze, not knowing where to start. That, that's what you get with me moving house. So it's, it's not something I look forward to. And the thought of moving with a family just terrifies me. Those of you who have done it can pray for me afterwards. And, uh, and if we ever have to do it, you can, you can help me maybe. But you don't think about a move, do you? You don't even contemplate all that's going to go with that unless you're looking forwards. Unless you're looking beyond what you're in right now and you're looking to something else. Maybe if you've got a growing family, you're thinking, we need some more space. I'm looking ahead. We need a bigger house or need to be in a different area. Or whatever it might be. But we see for the company of prophets here, they're looking ahead. They see that it's too small and they want to plan now for the future. And the future they're planning for is a future with Elisha. Elisha is God's man. He's he's, he's God's prophet. He's the guy that's leading this group. And they want to plan for their time with Elisha and have some more space in order for them to grow and for God to meet with them. And so some bright spark says, hey, why don't we build somewhere bigger? And uh, they ask Elisha to go with them. It's interesting, isn't it? They, they say, uh, let's go and, uh, and go and get a pole. So quite what sort of building they were going to uh, construct, we don't know. Maybe it was some sort of tent type device or maybe it was a sort of wooden poles around the outside. We're not given a plan. But whatever it was, you can be assured of this. It was going to be hard work. You see, these weren't the type of prophets who say, hey, we're the prophets, guys, and we just need to wait on God. We need to just be, be, be quiet in the stillness and, and, uh, and, and read our scriptures and uh, just, you know, just contemplate and uh, be before God. And Maybe some others of you could, uh, could build us a bigger building. <laughs> Sometimes, as Christians, we can get so caught up in you know, being with God, we sort of forget the practicalities of normal life. These guys weren't afraid to get their hands dirty. They weren't afraid to get in there and do a bit of building so that it would then release them and all that God had for them. So they go, and uh, Jordan isn't particularly a natural place to find timber, but it may well have been near where they were already. And uh, so we find now that the company of prophets then, 
a working heart. They're probably still you know, doing their prophetic stuff in the evenings, still studying, uh, hearing from Elisha, but they're doing their building work now as well, cutting down some trees and planning for the future and building somewhere bigger. So they're being faithful to God's man. They're being faithful to Elisha. They're being faithful to God. They're planning for the future. And then suddenly, suddenly, out of the blue, it all goes pear-shaped. It completely, for one guy at least, goes totally belly up. Just when he's right in the midst of serving God, serving Elisha, he's there with his axe, and suddenly... It all goes wrong for him. We see that the axe head flies off and the poor guy that was using it is left with little more than a wooden stick to chop down some trees. You can imagine him. So he prob- I mean, let's face it, he's a prophet. He probably wasn't that good at swinging an axe. He probably hadn't got a lot of experience. He probably hadn't got very calloused hands from years of hard work of swinging axes a lot. So probably he'd borrowed this thing because he didn't have one himself. That's the that's first giveaway, isn't it? So he's borrowed this axe. He's been swinging it probably quite wildly. Maybe he sort of threw it back too far. It narrowly missed the head of the person behind him and bang, it's in the water. And he's just standing there with his bit of wood thinking, oh no. Oh, no, it wasn't even my axe. And he cries out, doesn't he? Oh, my Lord, it was borrowed. And already he's starting to think, oh, no, what's going to happen? This is not what he planned. This is not what he imagined. This is not how he thought it would work out. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe, you know, you've borrowed your your neighbour's hedge cutter. Now maybe you've been there in the garden trimming back that hedge that should have been done for the last seven years but eventually you've got round to it and you think there's some hedge in there somewhere and you, you start hacking away at this thing uh, and somebody calls you and you're, you're suddenly distracted and you've got this hedge cutter going and suddenly you turn around and it hits a concrete post and whoa, it's wrecked. You think, oh no, it wasn't even mine, it was borrowed. You can imagine the thought, can't you? You think, oh no. At least if it's yours, you think, oh It's mine, but that's just the way things go. If you've borrowed it from someone who maybe wasn't even that keen for you to have it in the first place, and it took a bit of persuasion for you to say, I'll look after it, I promise you. You know, I'll treat it really well. You can trust me with it. You made all these promises and then it's wrecked. That's how this guy would have felt. Suddenly, everything's gone wrong for him. It's not like he was doing anything wrong, is it? He was just being faithful to what the guys were doing together, serving Elisha, serving God. It's not like he was playing around with it. It's not like he was chasing his friends and trying to lop their legs off with this new tool that he just got for the first time. He wasn't sort of doing a Monty Python and going around whacking people's legs off or chopping their arms off. He was just trying to chop down some trees to build somewhere bigger. He was just being faithful to God's. But it all went wrong. And if he was messing around, you could say, okay, understandably, you shouldn't be messing around with it. But he wasn't. He was just trying to honour God and his servant, Elisha. In the midst of serving God, everything went wrong. Has that ever happened to you? 
in the midst of you being faithful to God's, to his purposes as you understand them, suddenly it all goes wrong. Maybe like this guy, you've lost something. He's lost the, the head off the top of his axe. He's just left with a bit of a wooden pole. Not much good. Maybe you've lost something. Maybe it's been at work. You've been working hard, trying to honour God, be faithful to him in difficult circumstances perhaps, trying to uh, be righteous in your dealings with other people in your company uh, and other people you relate to. Perhaps when all around you is trying to press you into a different way of doing things, you're you're there thinking, no, I'm going to stay true to what I know the Bible says and I'm going to try and honour God in my work. You're trying to be faithful to it and now it all goes wrong. It all falls apart. Maybe it's been in your personal life where things have fallen apart or not worked out as perhaps how you'd imagine them or perhaps how you'd plan them. I wonder if that's happened to you. For this guy here, he knows that he's got to repay the cost of the axe because it wasn't his, it was borrowed. And if he couldn't do that, as would be likely, then the only option left for him is for him having to work as a bondservant to pay off the debt. So he needs to go back to the guy's borrow the axe from and say, look, I've wrecked your axe, I'm really sorry, I'll come and work for you for however long it might be to pay off the debt of the axe. That's the only option left to him now. That's probably what he's thinking about. No wonder he's worried. <laughs> no wonder he cries out, ah, it was borrowed. And wondering what's going to happen next. Fortunately for him, Elisha is at hand. The bright spark who said to Elisha, hey, why don't you come with us, is now this guy's best friend. Because <laughs> suddenly Elisha is at hand. And we see that Elisha acts decisively to resolve the situation. He finds out where the axe head was lost. Interesting, isn't it? He's a prophet, but he says to the guy, where, where did he go? He could turn around and say, well, you're the prophet, you should know. But he just says, look, where did he go? Perfectly normal question, where did he go? And then he does something not terribly normal. He creates a new handle for it, throws it into the water, and the axe head floats. Elisha's a curious mix, isn't he, of the perfectly normal and the very miraculous. Because God is at work through him. Let's be clear, it's God who makes the axe head float. It's not some clever bit of trickery from a piece of wood that Elisha has recently cut down and carved into the shape to fit the axe. This is God doing something through Elisha. You see, those who are led by God can act decisively as Elisha has done. Because they know that God is with them. Elisha's got a bit of a track record now. He's seen God act on lots of occasions. And he knows that God will come through for him. Oh, have you got that track record? Maybe you're just beginning to get that track record. Maybe you're just starting to see God act for you. So that's what happens. And uh, we find that uh, the axe head is restored to this guy. He gets, it seems, a new handle as well. I guess it may have broken off in the, uh, in the fall. And he can carry on cutting down trees and building for their future, looking to what's going to happen for them together.
So you might say, well, that's all very well. It's very nice for Elisha, particularly good for the person who borrowed the axe. But what good is it for us? Any of you borrowed any axes lately and wrecked them? No. Okay, so that that bit doesn't apply. But there are some things that I felt God speak to me about this week. And I've got five things to apply to us from this passage. The first one is this, number one. Just because stuff happens to you when you're following God, it doesn't mean that he has left you or is judging you. Just because stuff happens to you when you're following God, it doesn't mean that he has left you or is judging you. God says this to to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. He says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And friends, the promise is saying for us this morning. It's true for you and it's true for me, just as it was true there for Joshua. Sometimes we can get into the wrong thinking of when things start to go wrong, we immediately start to blame God and think somehow he's he's condemning us or he's left us or he's judging us or, or something, you know, he's doing something to us. Whereas the actual reality is, it's just life. And life happens. It happens around us and it happens with us and very often we're in the midst of it. And sometimes that's just how it is. Because we live in a fallen world, stuff goes wrong sometimes. And too often we can super-spiritualise it when we don't need to. Because sometimes this, this stuff happens. That's just the way it is. I'm not saying God doesn't use circumstances. We'll come to that in a moment. But just because stuff happens with us or around us, it doesn't mean that we, therefore God is somehow necessarily judging us. And that leads on to number two, which is this. God can use even the darkest situations for his good purpose and for your growth. God can use even the darkest situations for his good purpose and for your growth. It's true, isn't it? It is true. It is true. We're told this in Romans 8, 28. Maybe you've heard this verse before. It's quite a well-known verse uh, from the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that God causes the situations necessarily that we find ourselves in, that's important, but he does allow them sometimes. And certainly he can use them if we let him. It doesn't mean that God causes the situations or causes necessarily those things to happen to us, but he does allow them. We've got the story of Job, haven't we, in the Old Testament, which is a a curious story. But everything that happens to Job, God allows. He doesn't cause it, but he does allow it. And if we believe that we're in God's purposes, if we believe that God is on the throne and he rules and he reigns, like we've sung and declared this morning, which is easy to do in a song, 
When it comes to life, we need to apply that to our lives. And so God sometimes does allow us to go through things. And he can use them for his purpose and for his glory and for our growth if we let him. And I'll put in that phrase, if we let him, because I think that's important. Because we have to keep our heart tender towards God. If in a difficult circumstance we turn and rebel against God, and if we blame him for it and don't want anything more to do with him because of it, then it's much harder for God to use that for our growth. But rather, if our heart stays tender towards God, and we might scream and shout and cry, and sometimes not even understand... But if in the midst of that, our heart is still soft towards him, we're saying, Lord, I don't understand necessarily, but use this please, then he will. If we're trying to be true to him and follow him. Paul goes on in that um, chapter in, in Romans 8, and he says this in verse 35. It says, Who shall separate us? from the love of Christ. Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He's expecting us to say no, by the way, to that question, just in case you weren't sure. Shall anything separate us? No. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things or rather in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation, I think he's pretty much covered stuff there, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Philip Yancey, the Christian writer, has written a book entitled Where is God When It Hurts? It's a great book, actually. Where is God When It Hurts? And sometimes the answers are not easy. Sometimes circumstances are very difficult. I, I finished this yesterday. I was in the office and I was just finishing this talk. And uh, just after I did that, I, I sent some notes to an old friend of mine who's pregnant with her second child but they're saying he's going to lose the baby because it's so deformed and they're not expecting it to live either much beyond where it is now or certainly not if, it, if it's even born and I knew I had to write to her but what do you say in that situation? I knew I could express love and concern but how do you put that into words? I didn't really know what to say. I'll be honest. But I knew I had to say something. I wanted to send a message of, of love and support and prayer for her and her family. See, sometimes life really doesn't make sense. Sometimes it really is very difficult. We don't understand. But friends, listen. These truths we've just talked about are still true even in those sort of circumstances, in any circumstance. The truth of this book, the truth of what God has said to us, does not change. 
And when God says to Joshua, listen, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says the same to you this morning. And you might think, hey, but you don't know what situation I'm in. You don't know the circumstance. That's true, I don't. But I do know this. God's word does not change. It is still true in every circumstance. Where is God when it hurts? Actually, he's right in the middle of it with you. And if you're thinking, I can't walk with him through it, then he'll carry you through it if you let him. Where's God when it hurts? Right there with you. We need to keep our hearts soft towards God, stay close to him, because God wants to be with us in our pain. He's not somehow remote or distant, but rather walks through it with us. John brought that word to us earlier about lifting up our eyes. And sometimes we need to do that, don't we? We lift our eyes back to God. Remind ourselves of his word to us. We sang some songs earlier, didn't we, that really were speaking of these sort of truths. And so we sang, you are good. You are good and your love endures. That's a great song to sing. But sometimes we need to take the truth of that and apply it to our lives. The truth, friends, is not dependent upon our circumstance. It's true because God has said it. It's not true just because we feel like life's okay, so therefore it must be true. Actually, regardless of our circumstance, it remains true. God can use even the darkest situations for his good purpose and for your growth, if you're letting. That's number two, how are we doing? Number three, real quick. Don't borrow someone else's dot, dot, dot. You could put in axe there if you really wanted to, but I think it's okay to borrow someone else's axe if you don't have one. But rather, what I want to say is don't borrow someone else's way of being a Christian. Don't borrow someone else's, perhaps, way of doing ministry. It's good to learn from other people, but we're all individuals. God has made us individuals. He's made us different and wouldn't it, be all, wouldn't it be dreadful if we were all like me? I mean, it really would be very dreadful if we were all like me. It would be awful. <laughs> You'd have to agree so heartily to it. Sorry. <laughs> but don't borrow someone else's way of, of being a Christian or even perhaps hearing from God. We can learn from one another. We need to learn from one another. We need to have the humility to do that. But don't copy someone wholeheartedly. God wants to speak to you in a way that's unique to you. For some of you, that will be, as you read his words, things will come out and you'll think, oh, God's speaking to me in that. For others of you, God might speak to you in pictures. Others of you, you might hear an audible voice. Others of you, it might be, you know, you you, you see words. Don't borrow someone else's way of, say, listening to God, for example. Find out what God has for you. I mean, think about David. Remember David going to fight Goliath? We've got little David and we've got huge Goliath over there somewhere. And uh, Saul 
uh, once he realises that David has volunteered to go and fight Goliath, he says, well, listen, if you're going to go out and fight this guy, he's big, he's ugly. Well, it doesn't say he's ugly, but I'm, I'm like, uh, anyway, we could say he's big, he's nasty, and uh, he wants to eat you for breakfast. So you better put on my armour. And Saul gives David his armour. And so David sort of comes out from the changing tent, sort of like this, weighed down by Saul's armour that doesn't fit him, isn't designed for him. And if he goes out to fight Goliath in it, Goliath will have him for lunch. Because by wearing Saul's armour, he's restricting himself. He's not giving himself freedom to work in the way that God is going to use him. If Saul had gone out there with a sling and five stones, I don't think he would have come back. But David went out there with a sling and a few stones, and it was Goliath that got knocked down. He knew how God was going to use him. And he wasn't going to get weighed down by somebody else's way of doing things. So don't borrow someone else's dot, dot, dot. Ask what God has for you. Ask him what it is for you. How he's going to speak to you. How he wants to use you. Number four. God can raise that which is lost. Even the dead. That's his speciality, isn't it, really? You were dead in sin. I was dead in sin. God raised us up. We've got accounts in Scripture of God uh, physically, literally raising the dead through different people. Be it some Old Testament prophets or, or Jesus himself. We read stories even in these days of people being raised to life once again. God's in the business of raising people to life be it literally those who have died, or be it those of us who he has raised to spiritual life with him from whence we are once dead. Matthew Henry says this in his commentary, in a way that really only he can. He says, God's grace can thus raise the stony iron heart which has sunk into the mud of this world and raise up affections, naturally earthly, earthly to things above. I couldn't put it like that, but Matthew Henry can, and he puts it very well. What does God need to raise for you? Is it a dream that's died? Is it a hope? Is it something you imagined would work out? Is it a relationship? What is it that God, you perhaps would ask him to raise for you? God can raise that which is lost, even the dead. That's his speciality. And finally, number five. Ask God to perform the miraculous. He made the axe head float. Axe heads do not float, naturally. They sink to the bottom of the, uh, of the water, lake, river, whatever it might be. They're not in the business of floating. But for Elisha, God did the miraculous, did the impossible. And the guy gets his axe back. I wonder if sometimes we almost limit God's by what we ask for, or what we pray for, or what our expectation is. We were praying earlier this morning before the meeting, and uh, we were praying and encouraging one another to be expectant for God to meet us and come with expectant hearts.
I was challenged by, I think it was Jeff's words a few weeks ago when, when we were praying for me, having been so ill recently. Oh, by the way, kidney stone is gone. Hallelujah. That's all clear. This is wonderful. This is great. I had my x-ray this week. And uh, I think you challenged us, Jeff, in terms of t- to pray for healing. We're good at praying for doctors. And we say, no, it's good to pray for doctors. I'm sure they'd uh, uh, agree with that. And we say, Lord, yeah, give them, give them great skill, give them expertise, and that's all good. But you were helpfully reminding us to ask God for more. So let's be asking God for more. Asking him to perform the miraculous. Trusting him for the impossible. That we might see him move. For this guy who lost the axe head, everything was made right once again. Everything had gone very pear-shaped. But Elisha was able to restore it to him. So I wonder what is it for you this morning? What can you take from this story for you. How can you apply it to your life? What is it this morning that you're going to go away with thinking, God's spoken to me through that part of it? I'm expecting for each of us there'll be something. And it'll probably be something different. And um, it's not an arrogant expectation on my skill of preaching, because I wouldn't put it that high but rather my expectation is on God to apply his words through his Holy Spirit. So what is it for you this morning? Has life gone wrong for you whilst following God? Do you need to be reminded that he's still in control? Do you need to know perhaps God's grace in a situation that you're in currently? Does life hurt and you need to know God's love and tenderness towards you in it? Do you need to know perhaps your own gifting or the way God speaks to you? Or are you praying perhaps for God to break in miraculously to a situation that you face? Maybe it's in your family or in your work situation or for you personally. What is it for you? I'd like us to stand and we're going to sing again as we close and we've got some moments to pray for one another as well. Guys, can you come back? We can sing again, You Reign. I felt it was such a great way of ending the worship time earlier, but the truth of it is so true as well. For some years I was in a church in, uh, in Orpington, and uh, one of the elders was a Nigerian guy. And uh, he, he taught us to say, uh, some of you may remember this phrase, he taught us to say, God is good all the time. And he'd return all the time, we'd have to shout back, God is good. And uh, he can do it in a way that I couldn't, because I think it almost needs that sort of Nigerian accent and energy to, to have something about it. But our friends, it's true. I'd like us to stand, and the guys are going to lead us in a moment when we sing you rain. But before that, I want, to say, I want us to say that together. When I say God is good, I want you to, re- to reply all the time. When I say all the time, reply, God is good. Is that Okay. If you want to do it with an enthusiastic Nigerian accent like my friend Tim did then and probably still does, then you're very free to do so. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that all the time you are good. And Lord Jesus, when our circumstances are challenging and difficult and there is pain and we don't understand, 
Help us then to know the truth of that, that you are good all the time. You are good. You are to, your face is towards us if we turn towards you. And so, Father, I pray now that you would speak to us. Help us to understand right deep in our hearts the truths of what we've looked at this morning. That in certain circumstances that are before us, whether it be immediately now or that we face in the future, Lord, that we might be prepared for these things and understand from your word that you're still with us and that you can use these situations for your glory and for our good and growth in you. We, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we sing together? Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.